This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. One thing that I love asking guests on the show is what advice they would give to an up-and-coming designer. When I talk with Jacqueline Laurier, a product designer at Facebook, I asked her what's the best advice that she's been given about design. Uh, I think the best advice, that is something I heard yesterday, which is you're not, a designer is not somebody that follows the rules, it's somebody that creates the rules and makes the rules. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Mapbox is looking for a new head of design. We also have job listings from indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts so when there are new positions that are added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. And if you're looking for even more jobs, then become a member of our Slack community and join the jobs channel. See you there. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. Join more than 14 million people who use MailChimp to not only send email newsletters, but to grow their businesses on their own terms. Stick around for the end of this podcast, and I'll give you an announcement on a brand new feature that MailChimp just announced. Start sending professional-looking email newsletters to your clients today for free. Sign up at MailChimp.com. Every great idea deserves a great domain name, and that's where Hover comes in. Choose your domain from the hundreds of extensions out there and start building that new project that you've been waiting on today. Right now, you can get a .me domain for only $9.99 a year. Use our promo code REVISIONPATH and save an additional 10% off your purchase. Speaking of savings, we've got free shipping for everything in our store that's going to go on this week until February the 1st. Just go to revisionpath.com forward slash store, pick out what you like from our t-shirts, our hoodies, our mugs, and our tote bags, and use the promo code SHIP17 at checkout. That's S-H-I-P-1-7. I'll put a link to all of this in the show notes, so make sure you go check that out. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. So we're holding steady at 41 patrons for a total of $278 per month. Big thanks again to all of the patrons. Thank you so much for those of you that have pledged your support and your appreciation for the show. Really, really helps. If you enjoy what we're doing here at Revision Path, if you enjoy the guests that we have on the show, or if you've gotten any sort of value from listening, please consider becoming a patron. You'll get some great perks like early access to future episodes and free Revision Path goodies. Just head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge levels are super affordable. They start at just $1 a month, and it's a really great and affordable way to support the show on a regular basis. Now let's get on to this week's interview. We're going back to the Caribbean this week, and we're talking with Juvane Brownie, UI designer and founder of One Great Studio in Kingston, Jamaica. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. 
Hey, Maurice. I'm Javane Brownie. I'm a UI designer in Kingston, Jamaica, and I run an agency called One Great Studio. Now, you've had, you've had One Great Studio now for, what, about five years now? Yeah. So this is my second business. I mean, I, I, I've been, I rebranded five years ago um, when I took on my first partner. And so previously we were called Sequoia. Um, but that, that was a tricky name to be in because there's like a Sequoia investment, but it's just spelled differently. So no, after a while, you know, we were like, I want to get straight to the point because people kept asking me, what does that mean? You know, and I didn't want to have a name that when people see us, they ask us, you know, what does that mean? I wanted to, I wanted to have something that was a little more direct at the time. I did yeah. the exact same thing with my studio. I started out, it was called 318 Media, but it was spelled differently. Like it was the number three, the word 18. And the problem was one, like you said, people were confused by it. And also here in Atlanta, where I am, there were about two or three other companies that were also three blank blank media, like a oh. 352 media, 360 media, and people were getting us confused. And so I decided to change my name to something that was just more simple and straightforward. So now it's just lunch. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, the funny thing is that because no, because we're in Jamaica. So when people hear one great studio, a lot of the times they're like, is that a music studio? And I was like, <laughs> oh, it's a design studio, you know, but but it's cool. We're happy with it. No. And and, and I think we're, we're even we're, we get to use that word great a lot. In, in some very cool ways. And so I think that's actually working out pretty good in terms of our branding and how we use that word. Tell me, what's a typical day like for you at One Great Studio? Oh, man. Well, my life is much wider than One Great Studio. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I mean, I get into my office. Um, I come in. I have, I have a home office. And it's kind of cool because we actually choose to be remote. And that's something that we communicate to our clients too, because again, we, we're in a country like Jamaica and like working from home is not ex as acceptable as it is in the States, mm -hmm. you know, like in the U S like in the U S it's not like a, it's like a thing, you know, in Jamaica it's still viewed as like unprofessional, you know? And that's one thing that we've had to really tell our customers, you know, is that this is something that we do by choice, not because we can't afford to have an office, but we prefer to have a home office because it gives us more flexibility, you know? I have four kids, so I get to be around my kids more, you know. So right now we're actually just about starting to homeschool with them. So that's also like, you know, crazy stuff happening in my life here. But wow. getting to the studio in the morning, I come in, um, I check with my team. Typically, you know, I run through everything that we have to do. And then I try to find some time to do some quiet work because I really can't work well when I have a lot of things going on. I have to focus in on stuff. Wow, four kids. Yeah, I got four <laughs> kids, man. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a dream though. Having them is it's really cool just, you know, being able to steward their hearts and just pour into them, you know, and that's that's like a big part of our lives is really to see our kids come up. Are they know. are they kinda interested in design too, like you? Uh, not yet, you know. I haven't really I don't even think they understand what daddy does as much yet. I know they, they know I make websites, you know, but I don't think that has clicked for them completely yet. I know my eldest, he is eight now, and he started to show um, interest. Like, he's very good with math, and so I've been, I've been taking him, I've been planning to introduce him to a developer path so that he can um, get some exposure to that kind of stuff. So your team is it's a it's a remote distributed team or 
Is that, what, yeah. is that kind of how it is? It is. is it, so we have an office here that we can actually house everybody in this office, but yet still only two of us come in every week. Okay. Um, and then from time to time, different folks will come in. So like today I'll have three people in office and then I'll have two remotely and then, you know, it might be three remotely and two in office. Okay. And how is it yeah. sort of broken up? I mean, I know that you're the head of the, the agency, but what are, what do the other people do? Yeah. All right. So I, I, as you said, I'm, I'm not a team leader. I deal with a lot of the disc dev. I also do the UI design work. Um, I have two front-end developers right now working with us, and we have one back-end developer. And I also have Gina, who is my partner, who is also a designer. And so she's like transitioning from a graphic designer into like web stuff as well. So that's something, because we, we used to do graphic design as well, but that's something that we've been shedding recently. Is it because there just hasn't been a need for it, or you find the studios just moving away from that in general? Well, the main reason is because last year, for example, we had a designer. We had So we had Gina, who was a mainly print designer. We had another designer who was on board with us. So when, it, when we say five people, that's five people full-time. Mm-hmm. And we'll use people like on retainer basis from time to time. So we'll often scale our team um, using retainers. Um, and that works out pretty well for us. But what was happening was that we had such – we didn't have – all our team couldn't work on one project because we had people who were for print and we had people who were um, web designers and we had people who were front-end developers and we had people who were back-end developers. But the thing is, the graphic designer, that business was kind of separate. And we had to have dedicated people for that particular line. And I wanted to just have a business that focused on one thing. And so that one thing, well, it's still not one thing because now we're doing websites and apps you know, two things, you know, mobile apps, web apps, but everything is um, web-based. And so in that case, I really wanted to just increase our capacity in our core area and to just kind of narrow it a bit more. What are the best types of clients for you to work with? Oh, man, for us, we have a, we actually have a long list. <laughs> and it's funny because we, we, we have a, we have a onboarding process that, has us interviewing the client and normally you know people would be like all right well you know customers normally come in and they interview you but we actually interview our clients to make sure that they're good fits for us and that we're good fits for them you know because one of the worst things to have is a client that you really don't want to have you know and so for us we have four things that we look for in a client we look for people who are thinking long term that's a big deal for us is that they're not just thinking about the next step, but they're actually, this next step fits into their bigger plans, right? So that's one big thing for us. Um, the next thing that we look for is people who value what we do, right? So they, they have to see that there is value in what we do. Because when you have a client who doesn't appreciate what you do, that opens a whole different set of problems for you. And I, and I can just, I can live my life without that. Mm-hmm. So we have to have people who, understand the value in what we do. That's very big for us. Um, Another thing that we look for is people who trust us. And I think that's also really important. I don't know if you've ever had a a client that, you know, you you make a recommendation and they come in and say, oh, no, Maurice, I hear you and I know you're the expert, but this is what I want to do, you know? And that's, (laughs) that's so annoying to you. You know, it's like, well, why didn't you just do it yourself? 
You know, if you knew what you wanted to do, why didn't you do it yourself? Um, and so that's something that's very important to us as well is that they trust us and they, and they look to us as the expert. And because of that trust, they're willing to let us lead, which is the fourth thing that we look for is that people have to be willing to let us lead. If, if you're going to hire us, you're going to pay us, then we can lead that, pro- that project because we have the experience to do that. I like that. So I guess even with that onboarding process, that can span across a number of different industries. Yeah, it could. And I think figuring out what type of customer you want, what type of client you want, that's a big deal for, for each business. And then when you know that person, then you can ensure that the people who you take on are the right kind of people, you know? Now, I heard about you about a year ago on the Businessology show. And there was a an interview that you did there. Uh, you were talking about pricing and how your studio kind of transitioned to value based pricing. So, for those that are listening, you know, for those that are listening, can you explain what value based pricing is and why you made the switch to that? Okay, cool. Well, I'm not sure if I have like the perfect definition out there for what value based pricing is, but I'll tell you what it is to me. Okay. Um, all right. Let me start by telling you what it's not. Right. How we used to price before is that we used to, we do websites. That was our main thing for a long time, right? And so previously when we sent somebody a, a, a proposal, what it would have, it would have a line item for um, homepage design. And it would have a certain amount of hours for that homepage design. It would have an hourly rate for that homepage design. And then it would be the number of hours time to hourly rate, and that would give us the price for that particular line item, right? And then we would go on, and then we'd have line items for CMS installation, and line items for um, development, and line items for data entry, and line items for testing, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's cost-based pricing. That's when you look on your costs, and then you look at it because you're saying these hours but value-based pricing is the opposite in a sense. It's, it's really looking at what is this project worth to the customer and what is it, what is it, and what, what would be a good reward for us for the work that we're putting into it. So now our proposals come with a price that is just a flat price and it includes everything up top. And people can't, the funny thing is that people love to pick apart your pricing Oh, like yeah. I, I, they love to see an invoice with line items so that they can say, "Hey, Maurice, you know, I saw this line item here, and I'm thinking maybe I don't <laughs> need that particular thing, you know, and maybe you could take that one out, but you know, and, and maybe you could reduce this one." And and I've found that since we started just giving somebody one flat price and it includes everything, right? That's made a big difference. Is that it's 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 made the negotiation process more in our favor in a sense, so that when somebody wants to reduce the budget. We can say, all right, I can tell you how to reuse it, you know, otherwise, because it, it doesn't work like that. When somebody picks out a line item from your, from your quote, like it doesn't, it does, if they find something to eliminate five hours, it doesn't really eliminate five hours because you still have to do it most yeah. of the time, you know? And so that's like been a big deal for us is figuring out, all right, we're transitioning from this cost-based pricing to value-based pricing, which is really more about how this value is perceived, both on our end and in the customer. And if we can agree on a figure, then it doesn't really matter where that came from, as long as it's good for us and it's good for the customer. And we're both happy with it going forward. And you know, the next thing that I found interesting about cost-based pricing is that if I was working on a website and I 
said, this is going to take me eight hours, mm-hmm. and I quoted for that. If it took me 15 hours, you only get yes, paid for eight. I only get paid for eight. So it doesn't <laughs> even matter. Why, why was I even telling you that in the first place? Yeah. You know, because I was, I was not going to change your price on you. So my, my time estimates are my time estimates, and we still do them, but it's no longer for the customer. It's just for us. Yeah, and also, I mean, aside from what you're saying about, you know, kind of having to do it anyway, I kind of liken the whole line item thing and then when when clients want to take something out, it's like taking out a thread from your shirt or something. Like, yeah, you might want to take this one thing out, but then other stuff in the project is going to suffer because you feel like, oh, well, we don't need this, but not knowing that that one thing affects other stuff in the project. Like, for example... um, and this is because I've had I've done the line item thing before too, and I stopped doing it as well. What'll happen is I'll I'll give a client an invoice, and it will have okay, this is what the cost is, and then they'll come back to me and say, well, can can we get a line item on on why it's this much? And yeah. I'll usually refuse because I tell them, well, everything is included in that. If you look at the proposal, everything that we're talking about in the strategy is included in that price. Yeah. And usually the thing that I find that clients want to take out the most is user testing. Yeah. Um, cause I, I will do that particularly for redesigns because I want to make sure that certain goals that the client has are met, but they'll yeah. always want to take out user testing. And it's like, well, we, we need to do that in order to determine <laughs> whether or not we've made kind of a, a change for it just because you want to take yeah. it out. Cause you're like, Oh, this will save $500. I'm like, okay, but. Is, it's necessary. It's necessary. It's part yeah. of the whole project. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, I mean, it's just so interesting that, and you know what, Maurice, you see those people, anybody who asks a question like that, for me, may not be a good fit. Yeah. You know? And so we've, we've walked away from a couple of people recently who've asked us to break out our pricing into line items so that they can compare it to somebody else. Yep. And I was just like, no. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's the that's the big deal. It's like it's a, and, I, and I asked the person, I said, if I if I it was funny, it was a law firm. This is this is all right. I'll tell you that story later. Because <laughs> that was funny as well. But I asked I asked the person if if that particular line item that you're asking about, if it goes over my estimate, am I allowed to charge you more for it? And they said, no. And I said, well, you don't need to know what it is then. You know, yeah. because because the truth is, is that it doesn't matter to you. What's been kind of the impact on your business since switching things over to value based pricing? Man. All right. I think one of the things. So so we still track our time. We still keep track of how much time we spend on a particular project. I just right. throw that out there. Right. But we don't share that with the customer as much. The biggest impact for us is that we've been able to do less projects and earn more money. That's everyone wants that. Everybody wants that, yeah. <laughs> but, but that was really, really priced because beforehand we weren't. I mean, when I when I said that we were doing nine items for our pricing, we weren't including everything that we were actually doing. We were just including the things that people expect to pay for, right? Mm-hmm. So we didn't include some of the things that we had to do anyway. Um, and I think no, we consider all those things, but we don't communicate it all. So we were looking at it. We we're looking at a much bigger picture. We were realizing that. There were things that we did for free previously that actually has a lot of value, right? right. And so we, we put a price on that, though. We put a price on our discovery session, but we don't share it with the customer. You know, we go in and we sit down with them as a team and we ask them questions and we do things that are strategic. There's a lot of value on that, you know? And so 
that those are things that we did for free before and just realizing that these are things that people should pay for and these are things that add value to the project and these are things that make the project much better. So I think for us, it's really, because at, at the time, we didn't really have a lot of people saying to us before, oh, this is too expensive. That wasn't the reason why people didn't come on board with us you know, as a client. Most times people were happy with our pricing. And I think one of the things that we have to realize is that, all right, look at Apple, for example. Uh, I know, are you using an app right now? I'm on Windows. You're on, you're on Windows? Okay, that's good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, was a, I was a Windows guy for a long time, and I didn't like Macs, right? Mm-hmm. And it was funny because in, a, in, a, in, the, in, the, in the design industry, it's almost like you, you're no good if you're a Windows guy. You yeah. know? And the truth is, is that for a long time, I was like, but I can get so much more on a Windows machine than I can get on a Mac machine for the same amount of money. Like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know, and then I'm on a Mac now because I started to use Sketch mm-hmm. and Sketch is awesome. Um, but the thing about this is that Apple can charge you, they can charge you $2,000 for, uh, and it's way more than that now with their new release for a MacBook Pro, right? Yeah. And, and, and you're, you're going to pay for it because they have created some goodwill in your mind that they have this, this computer that's worth that money, right? And so the value of something is really what somebody's willing to pay for it, right. you know? And so they can price it at that, and people who are willing to pay for it will pay for it. And then people who are not willing to pay for it, they'll go into something else, you know? And so just realizing that even with our pricing, it's things that we could try. I mean, let me tell you, the first project that we did for value pricing, it was so funny because there were, it was a customer who came to us the year before, right? Mm-hmm. And we priced them the year before. And then they came back to us. So this was like, they came back to us in the January and said, all right, you remember that proposal that you did from us last year? We want you to tell us what that would cost us in this year. And that was 2015. Mm-hmm. And I kid you not, we went in and we did a discovery session with them. And the price that we gave them back was 10 times what we quoted them the year before. Wow. And, and it was it was really interesting because, but you see, we, we present, they, they didn't come away from that conversation saying, oh, you're trying to rob us, right? Because the way that we presented our proposal was completely different because we, we were talking about things with them now that we weren't talking about with them last year. You know, we were talking about producing video and producing content and doing like a lot of different things for them that they needed last year, but we just never thought about offering them. You know, yeah. so that's been so. It's not like we just like just quadrupled our pricing overnight. It's that we've actually started to pack a lot more value into our projects. Well, yeah, and I think you know communicating that to the client is important. But like you said, when you have that onboarding process, being sure that the client trusts you and lets yeah. you take the lead is really important because I could easily see how someone will bring a client on that maybe they didn't go through that kind of process with. And they're fighting them every step of the way about the pricing and why is this happening and this kind of stuff. So that onboarding is, is super important. For for someone that is just starting out, would you recommend that's kind of where they start? Like they start with honing their onboarding process? Well, for somebody who's just starting out, you might just want to get some customers, bad or not bad, you know? <laughs> well, no, no, no. I mean, when I say starting out, I mean, I don't mean like completely starting out. I mean, okay. starting to go into value-based pricing, like say... Yes. They're, they're, they've already done some business for a few years. 
now they want to start to switch over because they can see the benefits, say, from people like you, where would you recommend they begin? I think that's a good place. Um, all right, so I think there are two places that they can begin. I think one thing is to start to discover the value that they bring, right? So a lot of the times we, we will we'll be selling different things, but yes, so we're not really sure about what the most valuable thing that we sell is. Like what is the most valuable thing that I sell, mm-hmm. you know? And figuring that out is also really crucial for value-based pricing because you're gonna assign your, your the most, like for me then we put a lot, when we fig- once we figured that out, it's not what we thought it was, you know? It's not HTML and CSS because there are people out there who can do HTML and CSS in two days and you, you pay them 300 bucks and they turn it out, right? right? So that's not where the value is really and truly. So identifying the most valuable thing that you're offering is important because then you can structure your packages in such a way that highlight the differences between you and everybody else, right? And for us, we found that a lot of the things that we did that was more valuable that we weren't really even pricing for was we did a lot of strategy with people and we weren't pricing for it at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's one thing. And then the second thing I'd say is to figure out what are the things that are important in a customer and then to build an onboarding process that unearths that, you know, and also an onboarding process that unearths even greater value that we can deliver to the customer because in that process we actually discover how we can help them. And even even though they came and said, oh, I want you to just redesign my website, we found that we could do a lot more than just redesigning their website, you know? So that onboarding process not only serves to help us to figure out um, what customers are good and what customers are not good, it also helps us to figure out how we can serve a customer better. Yeah. Yeah. So those are two things. Discover what you're really selling, like what do you sell that's really of value, and then to start preparing a process that helps you to figure out how you can help this customer and if the customer is a good fit for you as well. Where do you see your business going in the near future, like say in the next two or three years? What's what's coming up on the horizon? Oh, man, for us, it's, it's probably all... It's probably very cliche these days, but that's where we move into. Um, we're a web web studio, and we are heading into products, um, and that's where a lot of people are moving into these days. But there are lots of different options out there. So we have a software product that we've been working on for the last couple of years. We have a few people on it now. We're just about to take that to the market. And we've just been really tweaking that and really building that product for the last two years. We thought we were gonna take it to the market last year, but then we discovered some new things after we got a few users on it mm-hmm. in terms of areas that there were there was even greater value. So we were, we've just put packed some of that stuff in there now. We're about to take that to the market this year. Can you talk a little bit about it? Yeah, sure. Um, so one of the things, so as I said, my life, earlier I told you my life is much wider than one great studio. I'm actually a youth pastor as well right now. So I work a lot with ch- churches okay. and I, we have a church manage like, so churches are very interesting in terms of how they approach stuff. Like they're, yeah, they're a religious organization, but they also have to market to people, you know, and they also, as bad as that sounds, they do, they market to people. I know some churches that spend more money marketing than some businesses, you know, mm-hmm. um, but they do, they do have to market to people. And a website is a big part of a church. Like a lot of people will make a decision about what church they're going to visit or what church you're not going to visit based on their website. 
right? Yeah. And so we we actually have a church website service that we've been working on for the last couple of years that we're taking to the market that would allow a church to easily spool up a website and then to have something that looks really good. And we give them all the base functionality. We sell a subscription to keep that going. And then we roll out updates for them from time to time as we add new features to, to, the, to the service. It's called Built. Nice. I yeah. can see that be real, you know, being something that churches can really use. I know, like you said, they do have to market. They do have to have something. I'm, I'm finding, particularly here in the States, I'd say even particularly here in Atlanta, because we have so many big mega churches here. Yeah. Um, what I'm seeing is that churches have in, or they're starting to have an increased need for more multimedia and more mobile functionality. So yeah. people want to be able to listen to sermons on the go, or they want to be able to stream their sermon online so people can watch. So, yeah. uh, yeah. it's that sort of stuff that's, you know, different from just regular business sites because it's more about outreach. It is, it is. And so that's one of the big things. So one of the big things that we discovered shortly after we launched the website service, because we did it, we have like five customers on it. And so what we started to do was just to ask them questions. So they were using, we were asking them questions. And then what we discovered is that there was a whole side, as you said, the mobile side. So that's the side that we've been working on recently. We've just finished building out our API because what's been happening. So let me give you the base. So a lot of churches, they use what they call a church management system, which is like a back office. Right. Mm -hmm. It runs all their back office processes and, you know, helps them to keep track of people, helps them to keep track of resources, rooms, different things, who's volunteering, when, where, you know, stuff like that. Right. And then so what we've done is that our, our current service sits on top of one particular back office and then it gives that an interface to be a front office. Right. And then what we've what we found is that. Now that folks have a front office, they also have like a mobile app that they develop separately. And then now they're managing that separately. So they have to manage. So the whole point of doing this website thing was to allow them to manage their data one place. And then it goes out from their church back office to their front office. And they don't have to worry about anything else. But now there's no, I know some of the churches we work with have like four different mobile apps. Right. And it's like and they're managing all of them independently. And so that's a lot of work on their side. So we wanted to streamline all that, have all that be managed from one place. That's a really good product. I, I'm I'm going to be interested to see how that grows once you really release it out into the public. Yeah, I mean, so we'll see. We'll see how when we get that out this year. We're just finishing up some stuff now on the mobile side, and then we'll be pushing that out with a marketing site later this year. We've actually found a couple of partners that will do some selling for us in the U.S. as well because one of the things, even though we're in Jamaica, our market is not really in Jamaica because the truth is we'll be like near shore, right? So we're, we're really looking at exporting services. And so a lot of what we do is actually targeted to businesses in the U.S. And we get a, a good chunk of businesses like from the U.S. each year. Nice. Yeah. Now, we've had Caribbean designers on the show before. And, you know, in some former aspect, they've talked about kind of breaking out of this notion of a quote-unquote uh, Caribbean design aesthetic. What does that mean to you? And, and is that something that you think about with your work? Like you said, you're, you're looking more on a, on a global scale, not just what's right there in Jamaica. You've got clients, from what I remember from your bio, in the U.S., throughout the Caribbean, in Dubai, for example. Um, does that factor into your work at all? Do you think about that? 
Yeah, well, you know, the, the funny thing is that it's always you. When you whenever you hear like something like that, like you know, like a third world design or something like that, you always think like low quality, you know. And that's the that's the big deal is that, like I feel there is just so much talent, like even in the Caribbean, that is like first world quality. And when you see what some companies in the Caribbean are doing with the limited resources that they have. Um, it's like amazing sometimes to just see the quality of work that's coming out, like with the resources, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and the resource difference is huge. Like I was in, I was in Miami over December and I was in a, I was in a, like a gated community and they had a basketball court with like, you know, glass backboard and a full length tennis court, Olympic size pool, you know, <laughs> and this is like, these are stuff like we only have one of those in, in the whole island. You know, okay. and this is this is stuff that people have like in their in their backyard, you know, in the States. So the resource difference is very is, is huge in terms of just like the resources available. But it's always lent itself for like ingenuity and like I would say like even ultra creativity in terms of just making a book go far away. And so I think we can produce stuff in the Caribbean, we can produce stuff that are first class, you know, even though we have customers that don't have first class book, but that's something that I take pride in doing is 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 creating things that are um, first world, even though we're in a third world country. Now, for a while in your career, you weren't really actively doing design. Is that right? Yeah, for a, for for a while in my career, I mean, I was doing a lot of different things. Um, right now, I do less design now than I've ever done. I think. Um, I'm, I'm kind of focusing more on, on, on web design now, um, and UI stuff right now mm-hmm. than more in my career. But, but I've always, I mean, I've always been doing design, but I really started taking it more. I had a store at one point and I was doing like retail stuff. Um, and after that I got into, I was doing web stuff on the site yeah. and then it was like, what happened is I got married. <laughs> and then and then I I was like, all right, you gotta grow up, right? You gotta pick a path and, and go. And so I picked I picked my path and that was doing web. And I've been I've been doing this ever since then. That's that's probably that's ten years ago. I've yeah. been focused on it. Yeah. So you're able to take something that you were kind of doing on the side as a hobby and then turn that into your career. Yeah, and that was cool. I mean it was it was more like I didn't at the time, what I would do is that I would take a project on and then that project would give me enough income that I didn't really have to like work full time. You know, I could pursue like other things. Mm-hmm. But then the thing is, it was like when I when I got a wife, <laughs> then I had bills, you know, and I yeah. had and she was going to school at the time. She was doing her MBA at the time. And so we had bills to pay. So, I mean, I had to just step it up and I said, you know, what? I'm going to take this serious. And I think there's a there's an industry that that I could tap into, and I'm and I'm I've never been happier about the decision because at the time that was either pursue music because that's what my family does. My family is a, a music family traditionally, okay, or jump into something else. And I'm and I'm I'm really happy I I didn't pursue music because that's not where my heart is. Well, and also I mean, as your family grew, that's another thing. I mean, you have four kids. I mean, kids ain't cheap. Yeah, they're not. <laughs> they're not. They're not cheap, but. Thankfully, we did. I mean, the cool thing about it is, so so I've transitioned from being a solo guy, you know, just earning as project comes on, to being somebody who 
has a business that runs that operate no i get a salary you know yeah. and even though it's not as much as i'd want to make right it's enough that we can plan and and the stability is great you know and for a long time in our lives we didn't have stability mm-hmm. you know we had lots of money sometimes and at other times we didn't have that much so being at a place now where it's a steady salary and then we have bonuses from time to time that's been awesome and so that's that's been good for us as a family it's just getting to a place we where i do take a salary and that's been something that's pretty cool now you're currently in Kingston. I know, you know, before we started recording, you mentioned you were more in the middle of the island in Mandeville and then moved towards Kingston, which is on the coast. What is the design scene like in Kingston? Is there like a, a local design scene or do you find that it's kind of more spread out throughout the islands? No, I think everything for design is really is really in Kingston. Like there okay. there's a lot of stuff happening in Kingston. Um, especially on the tech tech side. You know, there are lots of different incubators that come up. There are some government initiatives in terms of like different startups. You know, you have VC people out in Kingston trying to do different things. You know, so there are different there are lots of different agencies as well. But but a lot of the agencies they focus on traditional media, right? Not necessarily on digital. And so that's kind of like one thing that we've said is that our focus is digital. And that's the one thing that we are doing. If it's not going to appear on a screen, then we're not going to touch it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that's but Kingston ha- actually has a, 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 a rich design industry with lots of people who are doing different things. But a lot of them are functioning in the traditional media. What do you think you would have went into if you didn't become a designer? Well, uh-huh. I'm saying designer, but, you know, now you're kind of more business owner business development yeah. but if you didn't go this route what what would you what would you have done i don't know man i can't even i think i made i was study. i studied psychology in my first degree um but really i always knew i wanted to be a designer so i was doing a double major in, in comp science psychology and i wanted to do interface design that's always what i wanted to do was to see how to how the brain into like how people interact with computers mm-hmm. you know and with software, that's always what I've been interested in. So, if it wasn't if it wasn't being a designer, it would be a, a music producer, which is something that I toyed with in my teenage years. Um, yeah. Who are some of the mentors that you've had that have kind of helped you get to this point? I mean, a lot of the information that you shared about growing your business and, and things like that. Did you have any mentors or coaches that really helped you out through that transition? Yeah, I mean, in 2015, we started working with Jason Blummer. He's an awesome coach. He's an accountant, but okay. he's also a coach for creative agencies, right? And so, I mean, we got recommended to him in 2015. We started working with him, and that's been a real big thing. And so he's been our coach since then, and we're still working with him to this day. He he helped us transition to value pricing. You know, we get to sit with him, me and my business partner, Gino, we talk through tough stuff and it gives us a, we meet, right now we meet quarterly and that gives us like a time where once a quarter, we're at least sitting down and thinking strategically about our business. And that's hard sometimes when you're busy doing client work, you don't always find the time to actually sit down and say, all right, now we're going to focus on our business, you know? And so that's helpful for us. It gives us accountability, it gives us somebody we can bounce ideas off of, you know, somebody who asks tough questions sometimes that we have to actually think through. So he's been good and he's over at Plummer CPAs. Um, Dan Maul also, he's been, I, I've never met him, but 
I've, I've recently I've been watching a lot of his stuff as well. He's been awesome. And Jason Freed over at Basecamp, those guys, they publish a lot of different things, so never met them either. But there's so much online that you could really gain from a lot of people who's, who they're really sharing information as priceless out there, you know? And so that's stuff that we eat up and that we use daily in terms of how we approach our business. So what is it that keeps you motivated and inspired? I know that, you know, like you mentioned before, one great studio is not your entire life. You've got a family, of course. Um, What is it that keeps you going with all of this? I think for me, what keeps me going is just knowing that there is more, you know, if, if it was, I don't love design that much to, for it to be the thing that I wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh yeah, I can't wait to go design something today. I mean, I like it, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but I wouldn't say it's like my ultimate goal in life, you know, is to be the best designer I can be or the best business. I mean, I think I want to, for me, I want to see this business fund other things that I'm really passionate about. So I want to see this business fund social projects, for example. That's a big thing. So, so we have three core principles in our business. It's think long-term, don't be greedy, and do good, right? And I think for, for me, it's, it's being able to do good with the resources that we're able to generate like from a business like this. That's the thing that really keeps me going. So do you feel like you're where you kind of wanted to be at this stage in your life? Um, I, I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't say I, I'm, I'm exactly where I want to be. I, I think we always want to be further ahead than we are. <laughs> right, right. Um, but I think I'm on my way to, to, to where we need to be. And I think one of the cool things I've been realizing recently is don't wait till you're at the destination before you start doing some of the things that you've always wanted to be doing. So for example, like, you know, I've said, we want to do social stuff. You know, we want to make a difference socially, right? We don't have to wait till we're billionaires like Zuckerberg, you know, and then I could give away all my money. I don't have to wait till I'm, till I'm that rich in order to start being somebody who contributes, you know? Mm-hmm. And so doing those things, I think we started taking steps recently to really pursue some of our other passions a little bit more intentionally while we're still building our business. You know, before we get to that place where we're like, all right, now I can just do this alone. Even while we're still on that daily hustle, we could start doing some of those things that we, we have in our hearts. What would you say has been the best advice that you've been given about anything? It could be life advice, business advice. What's the best piece of advice that you've gotten that you want to pass on to our audience? Wow, the best piece of advice that I've gotten. I think I think just doing stuff, just trying something. You know, that's something that's something that um, Jason said to us early out in in our stuff. Um, he said, "Well, you're never gonna know until you try it. Just try it, right?" And I think sometimes in business we can have like a fear that we will fail in whatever new thing that it is that we're doing. Say you, you're, you're a designer, but you want to branch out into something else. And you're like, you know, I don't know if I should do it because, you know, what if it doesn't work? You know, if I change my pricing, what's going to happen? You know, you don't know what's going to happen until you do it. Like you might be there like struggling, like to pay your bills. And then, you know, you're saying, I want to make this transition and raise my pricing. But then if I raise my pricing, I'm going to lose a customer. You don't know until you try it. And, and that's something that, has been big for us is just trying different things, even with our pricing, um, structuring our packages different different ways. Like recently, for example, we went in, we did a we did a, a proposal for some folks, and and normally we split our projects up 
um, into monthly payments. That's the way we started doing it. And we'll, we'll, we'll spread it over like the course of the project, right? And for this particular customer, like midway through, I was just like, you know, if you pay everything up front, we'll give you a discount. And they went ahead and they paid everything up front. I mean, that created a different problem. We had to figure out what discount it was. But the thing is, we tried something, you know, and that helped significantly. It gave us some cash flow, you know, it made us, took some, it gave us a little time to sell some other projects and different things like that. So that's something I think just try. Find something. Don't be afraid to try things that you that you're thinking in your heart. I mean, still be consistent with your business, but don't be afraid to try new things. Where do you see yourself personally in the next five years? Oh man, in five years, um, I hope that we have greater recurring income from some of our products because a big part of what we want to do is to focus on projects that we really care about, even even from the agency standpoint. And sometimes, you know, sometimes when you run an agency, you take on things that you aren't really passionate about just because you need to pay the bills. And that's all good. Um, but if we could have some more freedom just because we have some passive income or income coming in from other streams, then I think that's that would be something achieved in the next five years. So if, if we if we can be at a place where our products are flourishing and we're able to really pick our spots for the agency and i think that would be that'd be something that'd be great for us do you think that that kind of opportunity would exist locally like teaching i guess local businesses or local entrepreneurs to get to the point where you are yeah that's something that we've actually looked at and we've started thinking about offering some different things like that i'm actually working with a couple of people right now um helping them with their businesses as well in a similar way to how um jason worked with with us and I'm just doing that not for pay, just because I really have a passion to see people fulfill their like potential as business owners, you know, and that's a big passion of mine. So I'm, I'm giving back in that way right now as well. Nice. Well, just to kind of, you know, wrap things up, Juvane, where can our audience find out more about you, about your studio and everything? Where can they find that information online? Yeah, they can find us at onegreatstudio.com. That's one spelled out, O-N-E, greatstudio.com. They can find us there. You know, I don't use social media as much as I should, <laughs> but but we'll be launching a new site soon. They can find us there and they could get everything there. All right. Sounds good. Well, Javane Brownie, thank you so much for taking time out to, to come on the show. Um, I really like a lot of what you had to say about kind of growing your business. I know right here at the beginning of the year, a lot of people kind of have that mentality of like, I'm going to change this up, you know, new year, new me, et cetera. And it's good to kind of hear your journey from how you started out to where you've gotten now. And basically what the benefit has been from that, it's allowed you to not only be an authority in your business, but you're also able to provide for your family. Like it's, it's, it's growing outward just from this, this uh, work that you're doing. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Hey, Maurice, thanks so much, man. Thanks for having me. Um, and to everybody out there, don't don't be afraid, man. I mean, you're, you're there. And then, you know, the next thing I, I heard, I know it's a new year, you want to change things up, but also get better at the stuff that you're doing as well. I think that's something that we've realized as well, you know. It's, it's one thing to just change things up. It's also another thing to just get better, you know. And I think that's something that's really helped us as well as getting better at stuff that we're doing. Thoughts of love are And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Juvane Brownie and thanks to you for listening. 
You can find out more about Juvain and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, and Hover. Facebook invests in design. They care deeply about how their design team might do their best work, and that manifests itself in a number of different ways, such as showing how internal design critiques work, sharing resources about VR and other cutting-edge tech, and by giving away great tools and resources like their design prototyping tool, Origami Studio, popular device templates, and even diverse hands for mock-ups for mobile devices. Learn more about Facebook design at facebook.com forward slash design. More than 14 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to grow their business, recapture sales, and make money in their sleep. And who doesn't want that? I want that. Also, starting on February the 2nd, that's this week, you can now create Facebook ad campaigns with your MailChimp list with no additional fees. You know, I love it when sponsors work together. That's really dope. So you have your MailChimp list. You can create specific targeted Facebook ad campaigns. It's a real game changer, let me tell you. So sign up for a free account today. MailChimp, send better email. Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domains. With free private domain registration and your choice of domains across all the 400 plus domain extensions out there, how can you turn that down? Save 10% off your first purchase by using our promo code REVISIONPATH at checkout. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, please do me a huge favor. Subscribe to us on iTunes, first of all. And secondly, leave us a rating and a review. It only takes a minute or two. It really helps the show out by not only letting more people hear it, you know, the more ratings we get, the more subscriptions, the more it kind of bumps us up in the iTunes rankings for Design Podcast. I'll even read your review right here on the show. Also, before you go, I've got one more favor, tiny, tiny favor. Well, not so tiny of a favor. Our fourth anniversary episode is going to be coming up at the end of February. And I want to know what you think about the show. So, you know, send your comments to mail at revisionpath.com. I'll put the email in the show notes. And, you know, send voice notes too. That'll be great. I can include you in on the episode. You know, our 28 Days of the Web celebration is going to be starting this week. That's going to start on Wednesday on February 1st. And then that's going to conclude on the 28th. And we'll have our anniversary episode is on the 27th, I believe. So... Would really love to get your feedback. Would love to have you be a part of that fourth anniversary episode. Again, send your comments, send your voice notes, your fan art. If there's fan art out there, I don't know, but that would be dope if there is. (laughs) Uh, Send all that to mail at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Visit us at yepitslunch.com for all your design, strategy, and creative consulting needs. And if you like the work we're doing here with Revision Path, then please consider becoming a patron. Now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in our own words and with our own voices. So if you support us, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. Pledge level started just $1 a month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you.